It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense, all in more or less plain English. Podcast number 862 for the 22nd of December, 2023. This week, artificial intelligence allows easy manipulation of photos, even by people who would be unable to make such changes without AI. This has led to discussions about the ethics of photo editing. In short circuits, AI can also plan your vacation, but should it? Roam Around makes suggestions, but they feel generic because the service doesn't ask who is traveling and what interests them. Stardock's Cursor FX modifies the appearance of the Windows mouse cursor. Now, that may seem trivial, but the utility has options that can make the computer more usable. And 20 years ago, only on the website, three weeks ago, I repeated an article from 2003 that considered what a Microsoft elevator would be like and what an Apple elevator would be like. The obvious follow-up would involve a call to Microsoft Elevator Support. Artificial intelligence, such as Adobe's Firefly technology, calls into question the ethics of photo manipulation, and I think it's something that we should consider when we modify our photos. AI makes it possible for anyone to make changes that they wouldn't have had the knowledge or talent to make previously, and that's why we all need to consider what we're doing, why we're doing it, and whether it's honest. I'll start with a couple of images that showed up in my Facebook feed recently. You'll see them on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Two images of cats. One had a cat with a stolen fish. The other had a cat with a stolen dog. I have no idea who or what made those images, or whether they were created with instructions from the same person. The images are both clearly the products of artificial intelligence. They are funny. From the expression on the cat to the expression on the dog, the detail in the fish... In the photo of the cat with the fish, both the cat and the people pursuing the cat are running, but if you look closely, they are all on a table with a purple container. The background in the picture of the cat with the stolen dog has some random shapes that are supposed to be representative of something. Now, nobody should mistake either of those images as true photos of actual events, and yet I see no ethical problem here. They're just someone's idea of a humorous situation, no worse, really, than a cartoon. After all, the cat is carrying something in its arms, also known as front legs, and it's running upright like a human would on its back legs. There is clearly no intent to deceive here. But what about manipulating real photographs? I post an image every day on Facebook that celebrates a specific event. This podcast is being released on the 22nd of December, and the 22nd of December is National Date Nut Bread Day. Most of the images I use are from Canva, an Australian design and stock photography site. Sometimes the image I want to use doesn't fit the 1200 by 624 pixel format that Facebook wants, so I have to find a way to fit the image to the format. The image for Date Nut Bread Day worked with just a bit of cropping, but sometimes there's more to be done. I had a photo of two cream puffs for use on the 2nd of January, but that photo didn't have enough space at the top or the left side for the text. 
In the past, I wouldn't have been able to use that image because there wasn't enough of an image to copy and flip to extend the counter and the background on the left. Creating more space on the top would have been easier, but there really wasn't very much there to work with. Generative Fill gave me what I needed in just a few seconds. Is this modification ethical? I don't see any problem with it. Likewise, I had a photo of some whipped cream for Whipped Cream Day, that's the 5th of January, but it was a vertical image, my posts are horizontal. I also wanted the bowl with the whisk to be further in from the right edge, and that would have been relatively easy to accomplish with the clone tool, but it probably would have consumed half an hour or more. Generative Phil did the job in less than a minute. Is that ethical? Again, I can't see any reason why it wouldn't be. But what about my image for the 1st of January? Polar Bear Plunge Day. I found a picture of a man and a woman in cold water, but I thought it'd be fun to include a polar bear. The bear had just eaten something and had blood on its snout and some of its leg fur. Also, it was standing on an ice floe and there was no ice in the picture with the people. The bear was far too large, it was facing right, and I needed it to face left. So I flipped the image and removed the blood from the fur, separated the bear from the ice and from the background sky, placed it in the upper right quadrant of the composition. Then I had generative fill do the rest. At a glance, the image might look legitimate, but a careful observer will notice immediately that it's a fake. Is this use of image manipulation legitimate? Well, I'm certainly not attempting to represent the image as being anything more than a composite, just a little fun. So, in my opinion, no harm, no foul. But now I'd like you to consider one that could go either way, depending on the intent. In 2009, I photographed a barn in eastern Ohio. It was an okay picture, but there was a sign, a power pole, drainage grate, highway signs, and an ugly addition to the barn. So, as a record of what was there when I drove down the road, it was fine, but I wanted a more attractive image. Around 2015, I got the image out and worked on it to remove the power lines, the road signs, and all the other clutter. The process required many, many hours over several weeks. I liked the resulting image. It is, after all, a good example of the kind of barn people see traveling rural roads in eastern Ohio. In late November, I thought I'd see what Adobe Firefly could do with the image. In about 90 minutes, and not many hours over several weeks, and starting with the original image, I replicated nearly all of the changes I had made manually. The most difficult object for generative fill was the power pole. I had to replace it in sections. In all, there were more than 40 Firefly modifications, and I did use the clone tool once to create a fourth window. You'll see all these images on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And I made some additional improvements using Firefly. There was a house in the background, and I found a better way to hide it. There was a water pump in front of the barn, in kind of an ugly position, so I removed that. There were some rust stains on the roof, I removed those. And there was some damaged wood on the side of the barn, I fixed that. I expected Firefly to have problems replacing the white building addition, but it didn't. Instead of extending the barn siding downward, as I had done previously, it replaced the white building with one made of wood that was painted barn red. So is this ethical? Well, yes and no. 
Yes, absolutely, for my intent. I wanted a generic example of a barn adjacent to a rural road in eastern Ohio. I have not represented this to be any specific barn in any particular location. But no, absolutely, if this image had been taken by or for a real estate agent who wants to sell the barn. Removing the rust stains on the roof, the white sign, and the building addition would clearly be unethical. The camera and the darkroom have always been able to lie. But it seems we have entered a new era. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, when planning a vacation in the distant past, last year, for example, maybe you went to a bookstore or a library to acquire a book about your destination. Now you can have AI tell you where to go. Literally. Should you do that? Roam Around will give you some suggestions, but you'd better check them out. I asked the service to help me plan a five-day visit to Columbus, Ohio, knowing I could check it for accuracy because, after all, that's where I live. Let's take a look at days one and two. It suggested breakfast at North Star Cafe. Not a bad start. Then it recommended visiting an hour-long themed escape room adventure. Now, that seems like something better suited to afternoons or evenings. Costs $41 a person. For lunch, Rome Around recommended Condado Tacos with several locations around town. It's not a place I've ever heard of, but it looks interesting. Then it says I should get a Columbus multi-attraction pass, which includes the Columbus Museum of Art, Columbus Zoo and Aquarium, the National Veterans Memorial, and the Franklin Park Conservatory. The pass is good for three days for $45, or just a single day for $32 a person. Then dinner would be at The Pearl, a Cameron Mitchell restaurant. Day two omits a breakfast recommendation, but it does suggest Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream during the morning. The lunch recommendation is Brassica, then Harvest Pizzeria for dinner, and a visit to Wolf's Ridge Brewing after dinner. I don't know how long the itineraries are retained, but I have a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website that might let you see the one that I created. Good luck. To save an itinerary, you do need to create an account, and the sole option seems to be doing that using your Google credentials. Then I thought I'd try doing something a little bit different. A three-day stay in Belfountain, Ohio, next May. Belfountain is a small town northwest of Columbus in Logan County. It's where I grew up, and the past decade has seen a lot of redevelopment that has brought life back to some of the old buildings downtown and a large number of dining locations. That itinerary may also be available, and there's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. I had tried this location previously, and it recommended Brew Fountain for breakfast. That's not a very good choice. Brew Fountain was voted the best beer bar in the state a couple of years ago, but it's not a place I'd go for breakfast. For one thing, because they don't open until 11. 
There are coffee shops and other good choices around town, but this time it recommended Bob Evans on the first day and Waffle House on the second day. At least they got lunch right. 600 downtown, excellent pizza there on the first day, and 2G's Barbecue on the second day. Among the sites recommended, the surprisingly large Logan County History Center, Indian Lake State Park, a few miles northwest of the city, the Myera Nature Preserve, and the Holland Theater. Roam Around is an interesting concept, but you should probably still check some of the old standby printed resources and the many online sources operated by city, state, and regional travel and tourist agencies. This is an area that seems like a good match for AI but not until it asks for information about who is traveling and what interests them. It would be easy to think an application that changes the image used to display a cursor on Windows would be little more than eye candy shiny objects for the easily distracted. It is eye candy, of course, and some of the cursors do look like shiny objects. A few are even garish, but the utility offers cursor modifications that are not available from Windows, and that's what makes it worth the $4 you'd pay to license it. The first step in using Cursor FX is selecting a cursor theme. 23 themes are included, and users can download more than 200 other free cursor sets from Win Customize, or use the built-in cursor editor to create their own set. With that out of the way, move on to the Effects tab and set optional visual effects for left, right, and middle mouse button, up, down, and double click. These can make the screen a bit busy if you set animations for every action, but in some cases they do provide useful feedback. Adding trails is the next customization. Magical trails works only on a dark background, and the smoke trail can be overwhelming, but some of the others are useful in providing visual evidence of where the cursor was. Those who have more than one monitor will probably like this feature. Also, if you lose track of the cursor completely, and that's all too easy to do when you have two or more monitors, the Find My Mouse function in Windows Power Toys is the fastest way to find a hiding mouse cursor. Cursor FX can add sounds to left, right, and middle button down, up, and double click. I have disabled all of those because playing a sound noticeably delayed the mouse. Then visit the Settings tab where you can control the color, brightness, contrast, opacity, and size of the mouse cursor. I like large mouse cursors because they're easy to see, but they can get in the way of text that appears when the mouse is hovering. Reducing the cursor's transparency allows the best of both worlds, and that's something you can't do with just Windows. A Shadow tab lets the user change the sharpness, darkness, and XY offset of the mouse's shadow, or to turn the shadow entirely off. The Options tab can be used to mirror the image of the mouse, making it point upper left instead of upper right. If you license the Stardock Objects desktop, Cursor FX is included, otherwise it can be licensed individually. If you'd like to learn more, check out the Stardock website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Neither cursors nor cursing is mentioned in 20 years ago on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week. Instead, we consider a call to Microsoft Elevator Tech Support. 
And no, Microsoft does not make elevators. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com. And if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session. <music>